Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. So I told you we were going to be in James, and that is not the case. We'll uh, pick back up in James after the first of the year. But for now, for today, in view of Christmas, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, reading verses 26 through 38. Kind of a cool story of how uh, we ended up in Luke 1. I was studying James uh, chapter 2 all week. Um, talking about faith without works and connecting it to the, kind of our journey through the book of James. And then um, I was in Bible study at McDonald's with some guys. Our study got over. Uh, there were some high school guys from our church who were studying the Bible over kind of at a table near me. And so uh, I went over there after I got done, just sat down with them. Hey, guys, just how you doing? And, man, they were in this uh, like intense study of Luke 1 and 2, uh, the Christmas story. And they had a bunch of great questions, a bunch of great observations. And first of all, my heart was just full of joy that we've got high school guys in our church that when they don't have school, they're up at like 6.37 in the morning studying the scriptures together. I can't tell you how much that, uh, that blessed my life and encouraged my life. And so um, anyway, that kind of led me to, to Luke chapter 1. And so Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38 is where we're going to be at today. It'll be a familiar story to you uh, in, in regards to Christmas. And so, so let's look at that together, okay? Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. If you want to stand while I read the scripture, you sure can. And uh, then we'll, we'll pray and get started. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father, we thank you for the King. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Lord, coming into the world in this spectacular way. Father, I pray that you would give us great joy in this account. God, that you would give us a heart like Mary's that longs to be a part of your mission. Father, please speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So I don't know, uh, I don't know what it was like for you the last time an archangel appeared to you. Um, 
I actually have never had that experience, okay? Uh, so I have a little trouble getting my mind around what would it be like for Mary? Here's a teenage girl and the archangel Gabriel. This, this is the same angel that 400 years ago appeared to Daniel, that he and Michael fought through the demonic lines. Man, that passage blows my mind. To give the message of, of the coming Messiah in the book of Daniel, this same angel, 400-some years later, is appearing to a teenage girl in a backwoods town, a nowhere place, and giving her the greatest message the world has ever known. The angel starts out by telling Mary, Greetings, O favored one. That's his, that's his greeting to her. The word greeting there is a really cool word. It means like have lots of joy. It means rejoice a bunch. It means be super happy, all right? Rejoice, and then he says, O favored one. Now, the word favored means, man, you are fortunate. You are blessed. You're the winner. You're, 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 man, a, a, a bunch of, of great things are coming your way. Now, I think it's true that a lot of us actually pray to the Lord that God would bless us. I bet you've had that experience before. I bet you've asked the Lord to bless you. You've asked the Lord to send his favor to be upon you. Well, the angel tells Mary, Mary, you, you are favored here today. Now, the cool thing to me about that is a lot of times when we ask for blessing, you know what I'm afraid we're asking for? I'm afraid a lot of times when we ask for blessing, we're asking for an easy life. I think a lot of times when we ask for blessing, we're saying, God, would you take away all these nasty problems? Would you take away all these inconveniences? Would you take away all this frustration? Would you take away all these annoying people? And, and would you just give me my easy chair and a bag of Doritos and lots of money, you know? Would, I, I think that's, I think, maybe you don't say that, but I think that's what a lot of people mean when they say, God, would you bless me? And what, what I want you to see from this passage is when the angel appears to Mary and says, Mary, man, have a lot of joy because you're faithful. You're about to be blessed. He is not saying, Mary, you're about to have an easy life because that is not at all what's about to happen to Mary. In fact, Mary's a betrothed lady. That means she's engaged. My daughter's engaged. Uh, you guys know what that means to be engaged to somebody. I bet Mary's, all of her plans are going through her mind about how she and Joseph are going to get married and the whole community is going to gather together and shower them with gifts and celebrate their happy day. And guess what, guys? The angel's message, you know what it means for Mary? All that is ruined. Whatever plans she had for her wedding, it's ruined. Whatever plans she had for her community, showering her with gifts and affirmation, that's all gone. Whatever, whatever ha ha gladness she had in her reputation as a God-fearing young lady, at least for a while, that's going to be ruined. In, in, a in a few short years, Mary's actually going to be fleeing from a murderous king down to a foreign country. Within a few decades, her heart is going to break as she watches her firstborn son be falsely accused and tortured and murdered and staked to a cross, okay? When the, when the angel says, Mary, you are favored, he does not mean an easy life, okay? And so whenever you ask for God's blessing, remember that God's blessing is always more than you could ask for, okay? 1 Corinthians 2.9 tells us, What eye has not seen or ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. God's blessing is beyond our imagination good, but it hardly ever means a comfortable, easy, problem-free life, okay? So when, when, when the angel appears, he says, Merry greetings, you're favored, you're blessed, okay? Because he's calling Mary into his work. Now, I want you to, to take note of how I said that, because I think it's important, uh, for me it is, to think about this the right way, okay? 
God is about to do something magnificent, and he's calling Mary into that something, okay? A lot of people, when they, when they read this story, they think Mary is about to do something magnificent, okay? And, and we're going to look at her response here in a minute. I want you to be just like Mary, okay? And it, it's, it's, it's a great response. It's, it's the biblical response. This is a godly lady, okay? But, but don't make a mistake. It's God who's about to do something magnificent, all right? As you read through this passage, you, you see that, don't you? Verse 35 says, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. Verse 31, you're going to conceive in your womb, not, not by a man, but by, by the Spirit of God. God is going to name the baby. He says, you shall call his name Jesus, okay? So the conception is going to be from God. God's going to name the child. God's going to make the child great. And then God's going to give him a throne in which he will reign forever. It is not Mary who's doing this. It's not Mary's idea. God's about to do something spectacular, and he is calling Mary into his work. Now, the reason I want to be real clear about that is because I want you to be in the same position, okay? I, I don't know if you knew this, but God's still doing magnificent things. God is still actually, actually, God is bringing the king into the world through Mary. Did you know that God is still doing that? God is still bringing Jesus to people. He's still bringing Jesus to the nations, and he's still calling people like Mary and hopefully like you and I to be a part in some way of, of, of this great mission of God. So what God says, what the angel says, um, speaking the message of God to Mary is a couple things here. He says, first of all, the baby will be great, okay? He'll be great. In other words, compared to every other baby, compared to every other man, this man is going to be great. He's going to be the first and best of beings. He's going to be the perfect man. He's going to be our champion and our representative before God. He says in verse 32, he says he's going to be the son of the most high. Okay, the most high is God, right? The most high is, there's no one higher than God. And Jesus is to be not only the perfect man, but he's to be the son of the most high. And not only is he going to be the son of the most high, but God is going to make him the eternal king. All right? He says this in three different ways. He says there in verse 32, he says he's going to be great. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him, first way, the throne of his father David. Who sits on a throne? A king sits on a throne. He's going to, have, he's going to give him the throne of his father David. Then he says, he says he's going to reign. Who reigns, by the way? A king does. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. And then the last phrase he says there is he says, and his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. Who has a kingdom? A king. So he says he's going to have a throne, he's going to reign, he's going to have a kingdom, and it's never going to end. Now, I have to believe that when Mary hears this, when Mary hears this message, when, when, when the angel says, you're going to have a baby conceived of God, conceived of the Holy Spirit, and that baby is going to sit on the throne of David, and he's going to reign over the house of Jacob, and his, of his kingdom there will be no end, I've got to believe that 4,000 years of Hopeful expectation and waiting exploded in Mary's heart, okay? In other words, I do not believe Mary scratched her head and thought, wow, I never heard of this before. I don't think that that's what she thought. I think her whole Old Testament came alive the moment the angel said, this is the baby who's going to reign on the throne of David, who's going who's to uh, reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of whose kingdom there will never be an end. Because Mary, like Simeon, and like Zacharias, and like Elizabeth, and like Anna, and like all the other characters in Luke chapters 1 and 2, had been waiting, waiting, waiting for this baby to come. Have you ever waited for anything? 
Like, have you ever, have you ever had this expectation of something coming? Ladies, those of you who've had babies, there's probably some waiting in that, isn't there? There, there certainly was for my wife. There's this expectation of it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and as it gets closer, you get more excited, and then at some point, you get really tired of being pregnant, and you're just ready to have the little critter, right? And when you get, when your husband gets home, he, just, you just walk him, you know, around the block, around the block, around the block. I'm speaking of myself here, you know, around the block, you know, just waiting, hoping, you know wanting this baby to come and every time there's a little twitch or a little bump or a little something you know you're trying to figure out is it Mexican food or 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 is it the time you know is now the time is it finally the time right those of you who've adopted we've adopted and we had the same experience with adoption just different but praying and waiting and persevering and praying and waiting and hopes being dashed and hopes coming again I remember I told Asher in his adoption video we thought we lost you a thousand times only to get you back a thousand and one, right? Waiting for that. Many of you have been a part of medical things where maybe you or maybe somebody you love was waiting for a kidney or waiting for a heart transplant or sometimes even waiting for the ambulance or some of you had babies that there was a dicey delivery and we weren't sure and, and the baby came out blue and you had those moments of waiting, waiting for, for the baby to cry. Maybe maybe others of you have been to, in the military and maybe you've been pinned down in some kind of war situation. You're waiting for rescue, right? We understand what that means. Christmas is the culmination of 4,000 years of waiting, 4,000 years of the people of God, waiting for God to do the thing that he must do for us to be saved. That's what's exploding in Mary's heart. Let's just go back and look at the whole Bible. You guys up for that this morning? Let's just, let's do it, right? I know you are. Let's do it, all right? So back in the, in the, in the very beginning in the book of Genesis, what do we find? We find Adam and Eve being created in perfect harmony with God, perfect fellowship with God, placed in a garden paradise, everything they need taken care of. It, it is, it is perfection in every way and then the serpent the serpent enters the world right and what does the serpent do he tempts them you can't trust God man you can't trust him he doesn't have your best interests in mind you need to go your own way you need to be your own boss you need to be your own king you need to have it your way you shouldn't you shouldn't listen to God he's not he doesn't really love you Adam and Eve, they fall for it. They, they're deceived by the serpent, and they sin against God. And the Bible says that when Adam fell, guess what? Something in you and I broke. You know why? Because we're all in Adam, right? We're biologically connected to the first man. And so whenever he fell, we all fell. And so all of us since then have been born not, not, not in perfect harmony with God, but at odds with God because of our original sin. We've been born broken. We've been born into a world that is broken into sin and death and the grave. Why? Because we're all tethered to Adam. We're all connected to Adam. And then immediately after that, God speaks to Adam and Eve and the serpent. And here's what God says in Genesis chapter 3. Verse 15, he tells the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, the woman's offspring, shall bruise your head. He's going to crush your head, and you're going to bruise his heel. So immediately after the fall of man, God gives this glimmer of hope. This glimmer of this one who's going to come. This one who's going to be the offspring of the woman. Who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And do you know what the people of God did? They waited, right? They waited for this one to come. 
And they waded through disasters and catastrophes and, and, and worldwide floods in which sin was so terrible upon the earth that God judged the whole earth. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God appears to a man named Abraham. And he says to Abraham, he promises Abraham in verse 2 of chapter 12 of Genesis, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And on him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, here's the promise, in you, Abraham, in your family, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. What's God saying? He's talking about that one, right? The one who's going to crush the serpent's head. And now he tells Abraham, that one's going to come through your family. There's going to be someone coming from you that's going to bless all the families of the earth. And what did the people of God do? They waited, right? They waited for this one to come. And then you fast forward into the, the time of the kings. And, and David is about to die. And Solomon is about to take over on his, on his throne. And God tells David in verse uh, 12, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring. In other words, David, your son's going to reign. The, uh, he's going to sit on the throne. Solomon's going to reign over Israel. And he shall come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever? What does that mean? Was Solomon going to live forever? No, Solomon wouldn't live forever. In fact, Solomon wouldn't even do everything right. In verse 14 it says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. In other words, I'm not going to give up on him. I'm not going to give up on your family, David, as I did from Saul, whom I put away from you. And then verse 16 says, and your house, okay, your line, David, not, not your brick and stone house, but your family line and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. You hear that, guys? Forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And what did the people of God do? They waited. They waited until Gabriel appeared to a teenage girl and said, I'm going to, I'm going to put a, uh, the God's going to put a baby inside of you. You're a virgin. You're going to give birth. And that child is going to reign he's going to sit on the throne of David and he's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end guys when Mary hears that she knows this is it this is the time we've been waiting for and in Mary's heart she longs for a king I long for a king do you long for a king or do you just want to vote for a president Man, that always ends up disappointing, doesn't it? In November, it seems full of hope, and later on, it just seems full of a mess, doesn't it? I long for a king. I long for a king to come and to reign. A king who is righteous and good in every way, who's going to fix our broken world. Would you believe that in the book of Romans, Paul says that even our world groans and waits for a king. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, For the creation was subjected to futility. I'm sorry, oops, let me back up. Uh, start in verse 19. For the creation waits with long, eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The whole creation grew. What does that mean? That means that when Adam fell, our world broke. And, and our world's been groaning in misery and corruption ever since. 
There's a lot of great things in our world, but you know what? There's a lot of broken things in our world. I've been watching on Facebook. Um, I've got some friends that I graduated high school with. It was kind of neat. We weren't Christians in high school, but we all came to know Christ after high school. And, and they ended up going to, uh, to Guatemala to give their life to the poor in Guatemala. But shortly after, after, after they got married, the husband died of cancer. And shortly after the husband died of cancer, their little girl died of cancer. And shortly after their little girl died of cancer, their older daughter, she got cancer. And she's still struggling now. She's on a ventilator in, in a hospital in Denver right now. On and off, on and off, they're trying to get her through a bone marrow transplant. And shortly after their older daughter got cancer, their older son got cancer. And these folks are living in faith. But you know what I think of when I think of them? I think of our whole world groans. It groans under the weight of the brokenness of sin. You know what else I think of? I think of that little boy that I prayed for in India who was covered with sores from head to toe. And his mom and dad had no hope of any kind of medical treatment because of their poverty. And they just wanted someone to pray for their boy. I think of the ladies I met who'd been bought out as the sex trade in India. Who were, who were living in, in brothels, being in bondage until the pastors had, had bought them out of that. I, I think of a broken world, guys, a broken world that groans for a king, a broken world that groans and pleads and longs for someone to come and to erase all this brokenness, to fix the brokenness that we feel. Listen to Romans eight twenty three. Not only does the world groan, I think you and I groan as well. Romans 8, 23 says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. That, that, that verse says that we groan ourselves. Um, I don't know about you guys, but man, I tell you what, I am ready to get rid of this broken flesh. I'm ready to get rid of this old man that keeps dragging me into pride, dragging me into selfishness, dragging me into mistakes. Man, I, I made one yesterday, you know, just, just didn't handle the situation rightly and blew it all up. Man, I, I, I'm tired of that. Like, I'm tired of that. I, I, I'm, I'm so thankful for being able to go to the Father and to have the blood of Jesus cover my sin. But you know what I'm ready to do? I'm ready to get rid of this and go on to the new heavens and the new earth. I, I groan eagerly for that. How's that going to happen? How's that going to happen? It's only going to happen by the king. It's only going to happen by Jesus reigning over my life. I long for a king. I, I don't know about you, but I don't long to get what I want. You, you, you know what I've found about people that want to get what they want? Once they get it, they find they're in misery. Okay, Because I, I just don't trust myself. I don't want to reign over myself. I want Jesus to reign over me. You know, isn't it interesting that, that in the Bible, how did Jesus teach us to pray? He taught us to pray in this way. He said, Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Isn't that how Jesus taught us to pray? He taught us to pray by praying for a kingdom. He, he said, pray for the kingdom to come. Pray for Christ the King to reign over you. To reign over our world, but to reign in our hearts. And so my friends, when, when Mary hears that, that, that this baby in the womb, in your womb, he's going to sit on the throne of his father David, and he's going to reign over the house of Jacob, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary is longing for all of that. She realizes this is the day for that to happen. This is the time when Christ is going to reign as king. And not only is Christ going to reign as king, but he's going to reign as king forever and ever. Please notice in Luke chapter 1, 
It says of his kingdom, there will be no end. What does it mean when a kingdom never has an end? You know what that means? It means it's unstoppable. It means that there is nothing that can stop the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And here's what I believe Mary understood. Mary understood that the baby in the manger would grow up to be the king on the white horse, okay? See, a lot of people in our culture, they've missed that already. For them, Christmas, he always stays in the manger. The baby's always in the manger. He never grows up. Let me tell you, folks, the baby grows up to reign forever. And we get a picture in Revelation 19 of who that baby grows up to be. In verse 11, it says, when I, when, when I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in white linen, White and pure were following him on white horses, and from his mouth come a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Mary knows that's what Jesus is promising. He is promising that the king coming in your womb is going to reign, and he's going to reign forever, and he's going to right all the wrongs, and he's going to wipe out injustice on this earth, and he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell forever and ever. Mary knows that. Now, what is her response to this message? Okay, Angel comes, teenage girl, says, Mary, here's what God is doing. I'm bringing you into this. God is calling you into this. And how does Mary respond? Three or four ways here. Let me, let me walk through them with you, okay? Number one, she believes, okay? Now, I just want to show you that the Scripture affirmed that Mary believes what the angel told her, okay? So go to verse 45. This is actually Elizabeth who's speaking. This is Mary's relative who is pregnant with John the Baptist. We'll get to that here in just a second. But in verse uh, 45 of chapter 1, it says, And blessed is she, she's talking about Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the word. So very simply, Mary believes what God has said he's doing, okay? And I just want to ask you, do you believe what God's doing? Do you believe what God's doing in the world today? Do you believe what he's doing through Jesus? Do you believe in the kingdom that's coming, that's here, that's now, that you can be a part of? You know, you know, Mary didn't just ascend to this mentally. I, I can't wait till the first of the year when we jump back into James because James really, really dissects faith for us. A lot of people believe that faith is just believing facts about something. Like I believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States. My friends, I believe that. I do not have faith in George Washington, though. Faith, Biblical faith is something different. Biblical faith, what Mary did to the angel here, or when the angel spoke to her here, Mary believes. Mary, Mary grabs onto what God is doing, and she cherishes it. She loves it. She treasures it. She depends upon it. She bases her life upon it. That's what it means to believe. And not only does Mary believe, but she is ready to be a part of the plan. Okay. Now, how do I know she's ready to be a part of the plan? Notice in verse... Um, Let's see, it'd be 34, verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, let me tell you what those high school boys at the table, let me tell you what they were talking about. They, I love this. High school guys studying the Bible. I was not studying the Bible when I was in high school. My life would probably be drastically different if I had been, okay? But here's what they were talking about. They were talking about how, how is what Mary says right there okay when she, said, she asked the angel, how's this going to be since I'm a virgin? How is that okay 
when the, chap, the, the previous passage right before it, when Zechariah questions the angel, the angel gets all over him. I don't know, I, have you ever been spanked by an angel? Zechariah did, okay? Let, let, let's, let me take you through the story here, okay? So just, just back up in Luke a little more. So Zechariah is doing his priestly duty, and, and an angel appears to him. And uh, the angel says in, what is that, verse 13, the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and, 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 and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Okay, now go down to Zechariah's response in verse, uh, what is that? Uh, 16, is that right? No. 18, all right. You guys can see the numbers in your Bible. Good job. <laughs> 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And then the angel breaks loose on him. And next verse, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and bring you good news. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day. I mean, if you doubt God when, in your speech, God said, you're not going to talk again until the, your wife delivers a baby. All right, now, why was that wrong and what Mary said was not wrong? Well, let me tell you. I, th- I think it's a pretty easy explanation. What Mary was doing in verse 34, she was not doubting what the angel said. She was saying, what's the plan? She was saying, I want to get bored on the plan. You see, when Zechariah was told, your, your wife's going to have a baby, Zechariah... I have to believe this. He understood where babies come from. His mom and dad did a good job, you know, teaching him about those things. And he had a wife, right? And so Zechariah was a husband, and he had a wife, and he knew that husbands and wives make babies, right? I'm trying to be as discreet about this as possible, okay? So, like, like he understood that, right? His problem was, hey, we're old, right? Well, like, we're old, and we haven't been able to have a kid, so I, how's it go? I don't know how it's going to happen, you know? And that's when the angel's like, you need to believe what God has said. I mean, it's not like Zechariah didn't have any evidence. Had he read his Old Testament, I believe he had to have read his Old Testament. Abraham, Sarah, they that making, you know, ringing any bells, right? He's just doubting God. He's doubting that God's really going to do what he says he's going to do. Now, when Mary answers the angel, look at it, in verse 34, and Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She's not doubting what God says. She's saying, okay, what's the plan, right? Because Mary understands her mom and dad did a good job with her too. Mary understands that babies come when husbands and wives, you know, are married and, and they're being husbands and wives and that's how, that's how babies come. And she's like, I don't have no husband, right? Like, do you see what she's saying? What's the plan here? Okay, she's not doubting. I'm going to have a baby. God just, God just told him, I'm going to have a baby. That baby's going to be the Messiah. He's going to reign on the throne of David. He's going to rule over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom, there'll be no end. Uh, hold on, though. I'm not married, right? I'm not married. Like, well, what's the plan here? I want to get bored on the plan, right? That, see, she's not, she's not doubting God. She's just saying, how can I be a part of this plan? I don't have a husband. And that's when the angel goes on to explain to her, Mary, you're, you're not going to have a baby by a husband. You're going to be married someday. You're going to marry Joseph, but not yet. You're going to have a baby by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it is necessary that Jesus not be born of a husband and a wife. You know why? Because if he was, what happens? If he's joined to Adam, he's just like you and I. He's got the sin of Adam dragging us down to death, sin, grave, hell, Right? But Jesus is born of a virgin. He's 100% man because he is, conceived, he is he's born of Mary, 
in Mary's womb, but he's 100% God because he is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And so he's not, he's not shackled to sin like you and I are. He's actually the second Adam. And he's going to be the one who lives a righteous life and who lives a life that you and I could not live and enables us to be joined to him for salvation. Just like we're joined to Adam and he plunges us into sin, death, and destruction, we can be joined to Jesus now and he lifts us up to glory and forgiveness and redemption. All right? So basically, Mary says, all right, what's the plan? And God tells her, here's the plan, Mary. It is mission impossible, okay? That's exactly what he says. This is impossible. God is going to do the impossible thing. You know what's really encouraging to me? Is it, is it all through the scriptures? You see this here in Mary. You see, you see it all through the scriptures. The plan of God is normally impossible, okay? God is normally doing impossible things. Let, let me give you a list of impossible things here. Ready? The dead being raised. That's impossible, okay? Sinners, lawbreakers, murderers, adulterers, greedy, violent, vicious men and women being declared completely righteous and their sins all forgiven. That's impossible. Having a heart changed. In other words, God takes out your heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh and changes your mind and, and enables you to live forever. And to live in a place where there, you never get old and there's no pain or sorrow or sin. or die. Guys, those are impossible things, aren't they? not how about being freed from from the slavery of, of addiction from the slavery of food or alcohol or sex or money or drug addiction how about that that's impossible as far as man is concerned how about god bringing justice into a world of injustice how about god making right a billion wrongs is that possible verse 37 nothing is impossible with god you see the mission of god it's all impossible a virgin giving birth? Yes, of course it's impossible. And God is doing the impossible. And basically what Mary's saying is, I'm ready. What's the plan? She believes, and now she's ready. What's the plan? Number three, Mary takes the posture of a servant. You know, I love this, this section here because you and I can do this today. Like, we can hear this, and we can, we can just say, you know what, I'm in on that. I, I, I want to be that too. Look at, look at verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Isn't that beautiful? That's her response. I'm the servant of the Lord. That word servant is a word that means doulos. It's a, it's a Greek word that means bond slave. Basically, a bond slave was somebody who, you, you didn't own yourself. You were owned by somebody else. Okay, You, you, you didn't make your own decisions. They, they were made for you. Basically, Mary is saying, hey, I am yours, God. I'm yours. You do with me whatever you want to do. I'm your servant. What does it mean to be a servant? Look at the second part of that verse. Let it be according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, God, what, whatever your word says, I'm in. I was, I was trying to explain Christianity to a guy yesterday. I mean, I was just pleading with him. Man, just trust Jesus. Like this, but that's not about my opinion, your opinion, anybody else's opinion. It, it's just about I believe Jesus is the King. I believe He's the Virgin-born King who's going to reign forever and ever. I believe He rose from the dead. And so, what I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to say, okay, Jesus, what'd you say? What, what'd you say? What'd you say about this? What'd you say about life? What'd you say about marriage? What do you say about sex? What do you say about money? What do you say about pride? What do you say about? I just, I just want to do what you say. Like let it. I want to be your servant. What does that mean? Let it be to me according. To your word. 
So number one, Mary believes. Number two, Mary says, all right, I'm ready. What's the plan? Number three, Mary says, I'm, I'm your servant, God. I'm available to you. Let it be to me according to your word. I, I'm just going to act according to your word. And number four, how does Mary respond to this message of the coming king? With joy. This, this really is what I want you to do this week. Man, I hope this week during the Christmas season, I hope that you get to embrace the joy of Christ's coming. Now, now as, you, as you read 1 and 2, you know what would be cool? is if you, if you sit down with your family and you read Luke 1 and 2 with your family this week. And as you do, I want you to, I want you to keep in mind, I want you to look for these, these moments of explosive joy. Okay, So like with Zechariah, the angel appears to him and in verse 14. He tells Zechariah, and you will, have, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Talking about John, the birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus. And then over in chapter 1, verse 44, when John the Baptist is conceived, and, 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 and Elizabeth has him in, in her womb, and he's probably anywhere from six, seven, eight, nine months old at this time, and, and Mary and Elizabeth meet, and when they meet, this is really cool, guys. Are you ready? I like this so much, they should make a movie about it. When they meet, John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth hears the voice of Mary, and he does a somersault cartwheel and rejoices. Listen to this. Verse, verse 44, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Later, we would, we would read when Jesus talks about John, he said that he's filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. And so, man, what does this mean for the abortion debate, you know? I mean, here you, here you got, you, not only is John a baby, he's a real baby in the womb of Elizabeth, but this is, this is a being who is rejoicing when he hears the voice of Mary, the mother of the Lord. There's lots of joy in this passage. Angels rejoicing, Zachariah's rejoicing, even John the Baptist in the womb is rejoicing. Mary's singing for joy. Notice, notice after this passage about Elizabeth, starting in verse 46, Mary sings a song. I'm not going to read you the whole thing. We're about out of time. But verse 46, Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. In Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is born and the shepherd, or the angel appears to the shepherd, the angel says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. There is a ton of joy in Luke chapter 1 and 2. How should you respond to the message that the king is coming? He's going to make all things right. You should be happy. Guys, I, I believe this. I believe that the direction of your life will be greatly determined by the things that you rejoice in. Ask yourself, what is it that makes you really happy? What is it that you celebrate? What is it that, that, that makes you sing? What is it that, that makes your heart leap for joy? You know, what, what is it that stirs you up in great joy? That, it's that thing that's actually going to direct the course of your life. It's actually going to be the legacy of, the, of your life. It's actually going to be the, the biggest impact on your life. If you only rejoice over football games and your personal exaltation and raises at work, and if that's the only time you rejoice, I just don't think you've seen what Mary sees. And I'll be honest, this is my experience of being a Christian for 28 years or so. 
Nobody perseveres in the Christian mission. I'm talking about the mission, okay? So the mission of, remember, what's the mission? God's bringing his king into the world. What's he still doing? Bringing his king to the world. Nobody perseveres in that without joy. You know, whenever, whenever I find people that are trying to do the mission of God, but they don't have any joy in it, they don't last very long. Like, you, you just can't, you can't persevere in that without joy. And you'll notice God's people in this passage, everybody, even down to Anna and, and Simeon, all of them, they are full of joy at what God is doing. So I think one of the ways that we can obey this passage this morning is simply by doing exactly what Mary did, singing, doing exactly what Zechariah was supposed to do, rejoice, doing exactly what Elizabeth, exactly what John the Baptist, you you should tell people, this Christmas I'm going to try to do what babies in the womb do when they hear of the Messiah. They do a somersault cartwheel and rejoice. That might be harder for some of you than, it's easier in the womb to do that now, but you can still rejoice. Let's ask God to help us. Father, please help us to rejoice at um, the coming of our Savior, at the glory of our King, at the resurrection of Jesus, at the dying of the cross. Lord, help us to rejoice that Jesus is going to fix all this broken stuff, that though our, our, our world groans in agony, over the brokenness of sin, that Jesus, you're our king who's going to fix it all. Father, we rejoice in that. Give us joy. Father, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand?